Hi, friends. Welcome back to Introverted Improvisers. In this Spotlight series, I like to highlight how improv shows up in the lives of others, as well as showcase a topic of interest and skill of a fellow improviser, highlighting how our uniqueness contributes to magical improv results. This week, I talk with Margaret Stretch, a licensed family therapist who I met online for Steve Hansen's online audio troupe, Live Clickbait, which you can catch on Spotify. I have yet to meet Margaret in person still, even though we're fairly close in proximity. Ah, that pandemic life, I guess. But because I haven't met Margaret in person, I haven't had that in-depth conversation with her that happens after a rehearsal or walking down to the bar after an improv show. So I was super delighted to learn what motivates her life outside of improv, as my experience with her as an improviser is just a small window into her world. Margaret has an extremely calming presence, and her smooth and impressive voice always draws deeply from the reality of a situation when we do improv together. So it all seemed to fit that she is a therapist. In addition to her graduate degree, she holds a BA in psych and theater with a minor in philosophy. She's a mother of three girls, the sixth of seven children in her family, and her partner is a classical guitarist. How cool and artsy and busy that life must be. So... Let's introduce Margaret, starting with her five slashes, listing on the fly the things she is resonating with in her life right now. If you could give yourself five slashes, what would be your five slashes? Oh, man. Um, I would say therapist slash improviser slash mother slash adventurer. Um, slash hmm, friend. Tell me more about the adventure one. Mm, um, so I love going on adventures. That's what I love to go on an adventure, whether it's like on my bike or going, traveling somewhere, new experiences. Um, I just love going on adventures. Like out to the woods, whatever it is. I'm like, I don't like sitting still most of the time. I can do it, but I enjoy just experiencing life and just going out there and, and going on all sorts of different jaunts. I'm just, yeah, I love adventure and just living life out and, and doing new things. I love to do new things. What's been maybe the most surprising thing you've tried? I would say going and doing improv was actually a huge adventure because I had neglected this theater side of my life for a long time. Um, And this has, it has been an adventure in the sense that I just was yearning for it for so long. And then I ventured to the city to perform. And now we have this new venture with, you know, recording over Zoom. And now we're going back to in-person and doing these things, but just adventuring and figuring out, you know, my, who I am aside from mom and therapist, um, you know, flexing those creative muscles, um, that's been a huge adventure in my life. Um, I went to a, a boat festival called Ephemeral recently that's in the Delta. Very able to be socially distanced when you're on boats. Um, so that was helpful. And just being able to learn 
you know, how to, to vote more and, and the different ways in which you can really learn, you know, engineering and, and figuring out, you know, how to make it so that you're basically living off a boat, which I had not done before. Like I'd been on boats for a very short period of time, but I'd not really spent a ton of time on boats and certainly not spending the night on boats because in general, I don't go on cruises anymore. I got into a really horrible accident on a cruise when I was in college. I went with my family and uh, we were in Mexico and I went on an ATV and we were supposed to be going through the jungle, not jungle, but like the whatever it is, you know, with trees and things um, in Mexico. And instead we went on a gravel road with huge bumps and potholes. And there was a huge pothole, like the size of um, a car and everybody avoided it. And I was avoiding it, but then my back left tire hit something, the edge or a rock, and it started to flip. I managed to jump off of it and slide along this gravel road in the middle of summer. And I was wearing a tank top. I got huge road rash. And then I had to be on a cruise for the rest of the time, just like getting dead skin scraped off me. So I tend to, I have not had good affiliations with boats. And so that was also an adventure for me because one of my best friends is huge into boating. She just loved boats. So I've been doing more and more like gradually getting like trusting boats again. So those are two, yeah, big adventures that in the last couple of years have surprised me. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, I'm so glad you're okay. That's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. So shifting from the wild adventures to the everyday, tell me a little bit about like, the practice you hold for your clients and also what was your path to that? Like, how did you figure, figure that out? When I was in high school, I found some um, reference books in the library. Like I lived in the library basically growing up. um, And I found these reference books that were about the different uh, history of psychology. And so I got really interested you know, reading about Freud, who I don't like, but, uh, you know, every history of something, you have somebody that might not be likable, but they've made the practice what it is. But in general, I got really interested. My dad is also, uh, he was a clinical social worker for 35 years. So social work and therapy and teaching, you know, all these things run in my family. So it's just a part of kind of who we are as like that, like helpers. I was reading these books and I'd already been interested in theater for a long time. I started, you know, seventh grade, helping out on the set, eventually getting on stage and getting lead roles and doing all these things. And so then I was like, how can I combine these two loves And so then I found there's like drama therapy, right? There was like only three programs really 
back when I graduated high school. And one of them was in San Francisco. And I had come to San Francisco when I was 11 and I loved it. I just liked the West Coast vibe, just suited me really well. And I thought, you know, let's do that. Let's, let's get over there. I actually did not get into the drama therapy program. Um, when I went, I sort of, I choked actually during my performance part. And, you know, I had to process that for a long time. Like what happened, you know, it was a five-year plan in the making and, you know, did I self-sabotage or did I just not vibe with the place? So I ended up going to JFK University and really loved my time there. And then I went into suicide prevention for five years. Uh, so I did a crisis hotline and used a lot of my theater skills there because you're talking with people on the phone and um, having sometimes to improvise what you're going to say in response. And then um, went back to the autism world. And that's what I currently do. I'm a clinical case manager with um, with an organization that works with autistic clients and their families. And so I do intakes where I see, you know, where are the next steps for their treatment? Are they doing um, one-to-one services? Are they doing group services? Um, you know, are they doing parent-led services? You know, where, where are the services? And then I help with concerns that they have with providers. So it's more social worky than um, than my previous job. So it's good I have a little bit of background and family history with that. I'm also assuming that even though there's a lot of evaluation in that process, I'm sure any amount of working in mental health requires being very present for the family or the client who might be adjusting or struggling. A lot of work is surrounding holding space for people. So if they're frustrated uh, and annoyed and or scared, you know, being able to hold that space and not react to that reaction. So, you know, coming from a stance of openness and willingness to hear people out, even if they're having a tough time, even if they're directing that anger at me and not taking that personally and reflecting back, you know, what it is that they're frustrated about. So obviously you have this really long day spending time with people and being present for them. And I see how having improv as a creative outlet uh, kind of matches those same people skills, but you're aware and we are aware as experienced improvisers that we can only use improv as an outlet therapeutically, but not as therapy. And this message gets passed around a lot in, in the improv circles. So as a therapist, could you speak more to that, that improv is therapeutic, but not therapy? Yeah. I mean, a lot of times you can use it as an outlet. You, you know, just like in drama therapy, you can use this empty chair technique as having whoever it is, whether it's your, yeah, your parent or your partner or somebody where you're utilizing that space to let out your feelings about it. And 
a lot of times there is the line that you need to be aware of though, that not to cross too into those personal boundaries for yourself, that then you're personally investing yourself in this character and, and making it so much that you can't disconnect from that. And that then you take things personally, like somebody what if somebody in the scenes like murdering that character, the whole point of improv is to say yes. And, but if you're attaching yourself to this character so much, then you're going to have this reaction that is not necessarily healthy. So you can't attach yourself to, to this technique as something that's going to solve issues that you have. Cause then you're also kind of opening up wounds that then you're sitting with after, and then you're not having that support to discuss those after the fact, and you're just sitting with it. And then you can spiral and just get to feeling like you're exposed and you don't have the tools to decompress and deconstruct those feelings, especially for people who have some really deep seated trauma or even not deep state, just, you know, being aware of trauma and how that impacts us and being very clear with one's boundaries. I think being able to be communicative with your group, your scene partners about aspects that might be triggering for you, um, you know, very triggering um, topics like rape or incest or other things that just if you start to have some group agreements about certain things that just are not going to be utilized in a scene and if not if that group is not willing to hold those boundaries for you it might not be the right group for you as much as you'd like to continue with it if it's causing you harm the show doesn't have to keep going on if you are not going to keep going on. So just being able to communicate boundaries and that it's okay to communicate those boundaries, you know, especially in these times now where there is a lot more focus on making sure that people are feeling safe and comfortable and note if something is making you feel uncomfortable being able to talk about it and being okay. So, you know, if you use improv as an outlet and you use it in a therapeutic way to get a cathartic release, that's great. And yes, and having someone, whether it's, you know, a support system that you have, a friend or a significant other that you can make space to decompress a little bit from that. And then if you do have a therapist that you can utilize, then, you know, utilizing that. Margaret then brought up a great point about self-care and improv that I hadn't thought of. While I use improv to help burn off steam and laugh and bring play to my life, she mentioned this regarding improv and her own self-care. Improv is part of my self-care, but it can't be the only part of my self-care because then you're 
kind of utilizing all this energy and you're, you're also giving in scenes your energy. You know, you're not only absorbing others energy, but you're giving as well. And so if you're having an empty cup and you're giving and giving and giving, you can receive somewhat, but it's, it's not going to fill your cup. So you really need to find a balance in your own self-care to fill your own cup, whether it's hobbies or exercise or all of the above. Yeah. And like I go to improv for the joy in my life, but I never actually thought about, yes, you are giving on stage and giving focus. Like that focus is actually, is a lot. That's a really interesting point I never thought about. So we talk about improv not being therapy. However, there is some amount of crossover between being a good therapist and making a great improviser. We can't deny that. So how would you say those two fit together? Yeah. I mean, just like what we were talking about before, giving and holding space. Um, You know, that's a lot of what you learn as a therapist is how to hold space for people and how to use that yes and, you know, instead of blocking that other person's perception because you have another perception and telling them, no, it's this, you could say, you know, yeah, I see that. And what do you think about this thing? So being able to hold space, being also able to think of things to say on the fly, you know, you're asking me an open-ended question right now. I'm having to say my answers without saying too many ums or having too many long pauses, things like that. And so, you know, being able to have improv where you're continually practicing those skills helps with therapy and therapy in that turn helps with improv. It's a symbiotic relationship. It feels like I would definitely say any, any games you do in general, whether it's improv, whether it's playing a board game, you know, I've played plenty of board games with clients, especially younger kiddos and adolescents um, as icebreakers, because it can be uncomfortable for them to start speaking about their feelings, especially if they haven't had a family culture or a societal culture, or even an ethnic culture of talking about feelings. In terms of the big picture here, you are in a profession where you're constantly helping people by giving them tools to learn about themselves or self-reflect and that they can kind of make their own discoveries. So like what, what can improv teach us about ourselves? Or if you'd like to get a bit more personal, like what has improv taught you about yourself? Yeah, I think, you know, improv is something that can really teach you a lot about yourself and about other people, you know, getting to connect with a variety of people you may not have ever connected with in another arena of your life and getting to know people of different ages, different cultures. um, That can really be extremely important aspect of improv, I think, because it's also, you're not just, being characters and memorizing lines, you're getting into different aspects of your body and movement. And you're not just saying the same things over and over again every night. You're figuring out different things to say and 
something you might not expect a person to say. Suddenly they're saying it and it's like, whoa, that I didn't. Okay, where do we go from here? And it's exciting. Um, And so improv for me has taught me a lot more about flexibility and being willing to put yourself out there and let go. I think I've kind of ebbed and flowed with it. There's some periods of time where I'm, I still feel rigid in improv. It's hard for me to, you know, let go of this idea of saying the right thing or getting a, always searching for the laugh and just being able to let go and have more of a a stream of consciousness at times can be really fun. And also just, it can really help, I think, with being able to be aware of other people's cues and social cues. I think improv could be a huge component to use in the autistic world, the neurodiverse world, um, because a lot of times people with autism, that's the difficulty they have is noting these often indirect social cues. If somebody's rolling their eyes at you while you're talking, someone with autism might not notice that and they just keep talking with their preferred topic and not noticing these indirect social cues. So getting to figure those out would be a great tool for someone neurodiverse to say, oh, I'm like, passing the face and this is the face they're making and just noting more of those social skills that not everybody has those strengths in. Um, so I think it's improv's amazing. I mean, whether it's short form, long form, uh, it's just a really great tool to use in whatever you're doing, you know, corporate world, therapy world. It's just an amazing aspect that can give you a world of benefits. Love that. Love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking about these two worlds, which are both totally important to mental health and wellness. Uh, And it's such an important topic for things going on right now. So thank you. I loved Margaret's points about connecting people who wouldn't otherwise be connected and being in a space of vulnerability together. Additionally, I greatly appreciated Margaret's own vulnerability in this conversation, from opening up about her past traumatic adventuring experience and the courage it took to revisit that, to the fact that she did not get into her original program of choice in graduate school and what that meant for her as an artist and for her career and how she reframed it and grew from that experience. Improv is a hugely vulnerable and emotional thing to dig deeper than that laughter and the make ups as we sometimes call it. And I hope, if you're considering trying improv, that conversations like these help you realize that we all have these common human experiences in which vulnerability, flexibility, and connection carry us improvisers more than any silly joke or goofy face might, though we all love those too. I also learned something new about my own self-care for the improviser in me, not realizing that that part of me needs a rest too. So Margaret is incredibly wise, and please check out her improv set this week, which I call The Melange of Margaret, where she shines beautifully in the style of organic and slow improv, something vastly different from what we do at Live Clickbait. 
If you'd like to work with Margaret or come join an introverted improviser session at any level, contact us at the link in the show notes. We'd love to hear your voice, and we've totally got your back.